Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Hi, my name's Bobby, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Bobby. Welcome to the panel on... Uh, powerlessness, powerlessness and unmanageability. I will be the moderator for this panel. In the spirit of the fifth tradition, to carry the essay message, this session will be recorded. The recorder uh, will not be turned off during this session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening. Please do not tamper with your recording equipment. Our panelists for this session are Tracy, Jerry, and Jim. Each will share for seven to ten minutes on the topic, and we'll, we will then open the meeting for sharing. Please join me in welcoming the panelists. Um, cool. I think you just go ahead. I'll let you know when you're at eight minutes. All right. I'm Tracy, and I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Tracy. Um, I'm... Why don't you move the microphone in front of you so that people who are listening to everyone can hear Thank you. Great idea. Um, I'm grateful to be on this panel. Um, and um, I've, I've spent a lot of time meditating on un- unmanageability and powerlessness. And in my previous life, before recovery... I would have explicit notes and everything would be perfectly outlined and I would give y'all a perfect presentation on unmanageability and powerlessness. And I would be thinking I was so powerful and manageable. (laughs) So you don't see that and I'm glad in any mistake I made, any mistake I made in my delivery this morning is toward my recovery. So I'm glad to make mistakes and not be a perfectionist as I was. Uh... First, like I typically like to do anytime I'm talking on a subject, is I like to define what the subject is. Unmanageable. Difficult, the definition of unmanageable is difficult or impossible to manage or control. Second definition, difficult to carry or maneuver, unwieldy or unwieldy, um, such as unmanageable bundles or unmanageable traffic congestion, which um, I think Atlanta people are very familiar with. Um, Powerlessness. Let me um, get back to powerlessness. Um, Has an interesting... Because they seem to be similar, but they're really not. Uh, Powerlessness means without ability, influence, or power. So... When I think about unmanageability and powerlessness, um, really and truly, I was unmanageable and powerless then during my addiction, during my active addiction. And really, I'm unmanageable and powerless now. There's really no difference. It sort of reminds me of the concept about a higher power. You know, people come into recovery and they're all confused about, well, who is my higher power and and what am I going to do and what am I going to submit to? Well, you've had a higher power all your life is what's called sex addiction. You know, so it's not that you're just being introduced to a higher power. You're just changing who your higher power is or what the direction your higher power takes. We're all submissive. We've been submissive to the addiction. We want to submit now to something that is better than the addiction, better than our addict. So um when people I'm confused when people get all confused about that because you're just changing your higher power. You've had a higher power all your life. And that higher power of sex addiction for me made my life powerless and unmanageable. But the 
craziness of it all was I thought I was so powerful and manageable. I take um, the illustration of spinning plates. All during my addiction, I had plates on a stick and I was spinning them. And then something new would come up and I'd have to do a new stick and a new plate. Well, guess what? I couldn't spend as much attention on my other plates. You know, so you add, you know, a few years later, you have to add another stick and another plate. And, you know, and I'm just so powerful because I've got all these plates spinning and life is, you know, I'm living a double life. Nobody knows and everything's wonderful. So I thought. And then guess what? One after one after one and within days, all of the plates came crashing down. That was powerlessness and unmanageability. And um, that's what happened for me. Um, it's interesting too to notice what the white book says on page 83 of course we're talking about step one but it says um, I give up I may have had I may have come with a loud cry or in a moment of quiet resignation but the time came when we knew the jig was up that's when my plates came crashing down we had been arrested stopped in our tracks but we had done it to ourselves if surrender came only from without it never took When we surrendered out of our own enlightened self-interest, it became the magic key that opened the prison door and set us free. Arrest and surrender in order to be set free. What a paradox. So see, we're so powerless that in order for... I was so powerless, and as addicts we're so powerless, that in order for us to get straightened out, we have, somebody else has to take power over us. Because we really never had the power all along. But I love the italics at the bottom of the page. Something's wrong with me and I can't fix it. Something's wrong with me and I can't fix it. And that's what unmanageability and powerlessness is. Um, um, On page 159, item number four, how I overcame my obsession with lust. Admit powerlessness. At the very beginning, all I could do when the compulsion struck was cry out, I'm powerless, please help me. Sometimes a hundred times a day, powerlessness was the most beautiful word in the world to me than as it was coming to experience the first step at death. It still is. Later I would discover that I was really powerless over me. The more I had fought lust, the more it fought back. All my willpower seemed to empower lust rather than hold it in check. Reading step one in the 12 and 12 let me see that my powerlessness was the firm bedrock upon which happy and purposeful lives may be built. I finally stopped trying to stop. Only by admitting less power over me to others in the fellowship could I receive power over my lust. So every time we acted out and we felt remorse and we felt guilt and shame and we decided to stop and that was our last time or my last time that just fueled the next act of acting out it was just fueled to it because I thought I was in control I thought I could stop but this disease is, causes us to be very powerless how many more minutes have I got? Um, I wanted to read one thing this is not um, um this is this is not conference approved literature. It's the DSM, which is the diagnostic thing that clinicians use for addiction. But listen, in order to be considered an addict by the by terms where your insurance will pay for it, that's what I say. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that it means that you really. But listen to these four things. Here is a list of social criteria for substance use disorder as written in the most current DSM-5. One, a great deal of time is spent in activities necessary to obtain drugs, use drugs, or recover from its effects. Or to obtain sex, use sex, or recover from its effects. Bullet two, recurrent use resulting in a failure to fulfill major role obligations at work, school, and home. That's powerless. Bullet three, continued drug use or sex addiction despite having persistent or recurrent social or interpersonal problems caused or exacerbated by the effects of drug use. Four, important social, occupational, or recreational activities are given up or reduced because of drug use or because of sex use or sexually acting out. I mean, and so 
this thing about powerlessness is not just something that AA recognizes and that the White Book recognizes, but even the medical community recognizes how powerless our addiction can make us and how powerless we are in our addiction. Um, I often use the expression that um, God had to hit me over the head with a a two by ten. He he tried several times with a two by four, and um, it didn't work. It, it took something a lot bigger than that. And uh, but one, I, I just wanted to give you a couple of examples in my life of, of powerlessness. I I have same sex attraction disorder. I was sexually abused as a child, and um, I grew up to have that, and so I led a double life. I was married for um, thirty two years. I came to um, Peachtree Corners for my first therapy session six months after my wife and I separated because of my addiction. Now, I had been disfellowshipped from the religious organization I was a member of and had been all my life. I was separated from my wife. I had started in SA that week. For six months, I was numb. I was still recoiling from the broken plates, and I could not believe they were not still spinning. So I, I come up here to therapy. I'm coming up Peachtree Industrial. I mean, my life could not have been more messed up. And what do I do? I see an adult bookstore, and on my way to therapy for sex addiction and separated from my wife, disfellowship from my religious organization, I pull into the parking lot and I go into the adult bookstore. Now that is powerlessness and unmanageability. When I pass that bookstore now, in fact, I passed it this morning coming to the meeting, I think to myself, I was nuts. And I'm still nuts, but it's a little bit more manageable than it used to be. But um, So that's just a, a prime example to me of the powerlessness and the unmanageability in my life. And that's... Um, thank you all for listening. Yeah. Good morning, I'm Jim. I'm a sexaholic. I'm really grateful to be here. Um, last year it was chronic relapsers, and uh, this year it's powerless and unmanageability. I think Jerry might be trying to tell me something. I'm not sure. Uh, I really am grateful to be here. Um, the meetings on powerlessness and uh, unmanageability are are kind of like first step meetings that uh, you know the it's not really an essay tradition to have a first step meeting because there's so much shame and guilt around this disease that we have to take somebody into another room and not talk openly and and uh, about you know what brought them into these rooms I really feel like you know being vulnerable enough to tell somebody you know why you're here um, kind of destroys the isolationism of the disease um, and it, it makes you want to actually join the world and, and to me that's that's why first step meetings are so important because I can actually say you know I'm here because my life became unmanageable I, um, I was reading in the big book last night about unmanageability and um, there's a story in there about a guy that likes to jaywalk and uh, it's a famous story, and he gets a thrill from jaywalking, and his friends try to talk him out of it, but he, you know, he jaywalks and he breaks his arm, and the next time he breaks his legs, and he goes to an asylum for treatment, and he comes out and gets hit by a fire truck and breaks his back, and, and no, you know, nobody can figure out why, and it's really an apt, you know, it's an apt example for me. I. I thought I could manage this disease, and, um, you know, I did manage it until I was arrested um, for solicitation. And, um, you know, I did manage it until I contracted, you know, an STD. And, uh, you know, I did manage it until I got kicked out of the house. And uh, when I gave up trying to manage it, you know, things started to go a lot better for me. I still try to take control back. I still try to take control back. I'm a manager. That's what I do. And for me, understanding powerlessness is understanding that I'm not God. You know, I am not the one who makes the decisions about, you know, how my life goes. 
And the more I do that, the more I get involved, the more things get screwed up. You know, I really, really like the fact that I can recognize my unmanageability today. You know, I still try to control, you know, I still try to control my wife. I try to control the relationships, you know, that I have in my life. And the more I try to control them, the worse they become. I, I cannot, you know, I can't emphasize enough that I can control things to a certain point and then everything goes sideways. Every story I read in the big book last night ended with the, you know, the idea that the unaided addict cannot control you know, his life. It will spin out of control. And, you know, I was arrested for solicitation 20 years ago. Uh, today I have almost four years, you know, since I've acted out. So in that meantime, there was a lot of unmanageability and, and a lot of powerlessness. And I guess for me, the fact that I'm here today is you know is a testament to the idea that you know powerlessness runs deep in my life you know it's it's not something that i can say well you know i've kind of got this because i don't i don't have this if i had my way i would probably be you know watching porn and not going to work or you know, lusting after women at, at some health club somewhere or, you know, doing whatever. But I can't do those things today and live with myself. So, you know, the personality transformation of working the steps, you know, really to me is the miracle of this program that somehow I've decided that I don't need to live with lust, you know. And when I take credit for that, that's when I start to manage. You know, I start to really think that I'm the one that really healed me, and I'm not the one that healed me. It, it, you know, if I had my way, I would be probably working at an adult bookstore, you know, and offering the special of the day, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, I'm so grateful and so lucky to be here that, you know, I really feel like I don't deserve it. You know, I feel like what I deserve is, you know, jails, institution, and death. And as long as I remember that, you know, that I shouldn't be here. I should be out there. But one day at a time, you know, is all I can do. All I can do is surrender when I get up in the morning and say, hey, you know, whatever happens today happens. I need to do the next right thing. And I need to not isolate. You know, this is a disease of isolation. It's as long as I'm isolating, my addict is winning. And for me, recognizing that, you know, it's real simple. My character defects keep popping up in the same way over and over and over again. And recognizing the patterns of, you know, selfishness and control and fear, for me, are so obvious, even to me, an addict, that I have to, you know, do the next right thing, which is to call somebody or work a step, work the third step. I heard a really good quote on the radio the other day that, uh, um, you know, God and fear cannot exist in the same space. You know, and for me, I always am very fearful underneath, but try to project. Um, an in-control kind of a, you know, persona. And, you know, surrendering to a higher power for me means accepting that I'm just another person. I don't have to be, you know, the winner or, you know, the, the loser. I'm just another person. And that's really difficult for an addict just to be, you know, a powerless and not in control of the situation. And for me, it's kind of a relief, you know, that I don't have to do that today. I don't have to be, I don't have to manage every little thing. 
and I don't have to know where I'm going to be all the time. I just have to show up and let people point me in a direction. And uh, you know, I'm super grateful that I got to be here today because I really, you know, I really don't understand this program 100%. I just know that if I wake up in the morning and surrender, I have a chance. You know, I have a chance to stay sober and I have a chance to help people. I don't always do it, but I have a chance. And today lust isn't making my decisions for me and you know that that is so you know it's such a change for me that it can only be described as a miracle for me that lust is not in control of me today and um, you know for that I'm grateful thanks for letting me share I'm Jerry a very grateful recovering I'm Jerry, very grateful recovering sexaholic sobriety. Today is July 4th, 2013, and I've just kind of been reflecting on a lot of different things. July 3rd was a very pivotal point in my life. Um, I'm almost 55. I've been dealing with same-sex attraction almost 30-some years, up and down. But I always knew about SA. I went to SA um, probably two. 15, 20 years ago, and a lot of you will probably have heard this, but um, the guy basically told me this is what you need to do, very methodical, and of course, in my warped out head, I said, you know, I don't like his attitude, um, <laughs> I don't like his attitude and tone, and so I, I, walked a lo- I, walked, I walked out a long time, but anyway, July 3rd, um, I, was, I went off the rails, basically, um, the bottom line is, is in my powerlessness, someone basically just told me to be gone or whatever in the midst of acting out. So when I think about step one, we um, admitted that we were powerless over lust and our lives had become unmanageable. I was there. I had to literally do that. So my powerlessness is knowing that I am not an icon. I'm not God. I believe in God. But, but when I really get honest about it, I, um, I I have to say that I probably was my own god or an icon, and I had the ability using or perverting charisma to get what I wanted in, in the things that I wanted in my addiction. Um, of course, the drug that I thought I could control and use turned on me, and it was poison. So in the end, I was left um, saying, you know, I've got to get my life together. It was actually when I was 50. So I had to get my life together. Powerlessness to me means that I cannot do it. But as it says on page 65 of the white book, it says, now we stop meeting, we stop acting out, looking at porn, whatever. And then in our surrender, the power of God becomes effective. So I had to do my surrender and let God take over. And unmanageability is saying, all my coping mechanisms, which were sick, I could not really use them anymore because they were not working. So what works for me now is brutal transparency in my powerlessness and in, in my manageability. There's not a guy in this room that I cannot share and have a, a share with and check in. I never feel any any uh, distance or anything that works also what works is aware I've got to constantly be aware that that uh, I'm an addict I'm an addict I don't know everything about my addiction but I do know that if I take my sponsor's direction if I go to at least three to four meetings a week if I make at least three to four phone calls every day I have a better chance also my conscious contact because I've got to be connected with the power since I'm powerless I have to be connected to God and I have to be in the presence of God hopefully moment by moment through the day that takes me to where I need to be for sobriety. Also, I have to have faith in recovery because my picture of, my picture of my life has really been a very dismal one. There's, the, the statistics really don't prove me to do very well given what I have been struggling with. So I have to have faith and know that God can can be there for me to help fill this big, big hole that I've been trying to fill with shopping, with traveling, with sex, or whatever. Um, 
I think, if anything, I have to always know that there's always a possibility of relapse. I don't like to think about that constantly. But what would be a situation where I would go into relapse, and of course it would be the isolation, me going back and being absorbed with with me um, thinking I might have power to control my destiny in recovery or the power to control anything. So I have to, again, absolute surrender. I must surrender at all costs and be willing to go to any length in order to continue. Um, I have to make healthy choices, and I can do that if I'm sober. If I'm not sober, I don't really have a way of um, knowing what's going or coming. And lastly, probably what I want to say about this unmanageability and um, powerlessness is that um, I have to get out of the way and let God let God work. Um, and it's so hard because I'm so, one of the defects is control, is self-absorption, is uh, self-seeking. All of those character defects, I have to constantly be aware at any given moment. But... Um, I'm glad to be here today. I'm glad that I am sober, that I can speak, that I can fellowship and see others in this um, in this marathon today um, as a result of me making the choice, again, back to I admitted that I am powerless and that um, my life is unmanageable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because of our common welfare, come first. Um, here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not cross-talk. That is, we share with the group as a whole rather than addressing any individual member. We speak in the I, not the we or you. We leave our other identities at the door, including politics, religion, therapies, treatment centers, occupations, and other 12-step issues. We speak about and from the SA point of view. Our meeting focuses on solutions to our essay approach to recovery. Never possible, we avoid the mention of titles and authors that are not essay-approved literature. <clears throat> In participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissensions or distraction. We also avoid profanity, sexual descriptions, and sexually abusive language. In sharing, if a speaker brings up a controversial topic or controversial topic of deviance or from our guidelines, the moderator will interrupt the speaker and ask them to honor our request. We can also remind each other of our commitment to these guidelines by quietly raising our hand. In sharing, we encourage you to focus on the topic of the meeting. This is not a check-in meeting. If you need to check in, please find a temporary sponsor, someone with a purple dot on their name tag, after the meeting with whom you can share. We ask those we wish to share to please come up and sit in the chairs next to the microphone and queue. As one person moves to the sharing chair, the other just the others just move over and another person takes the empty chair. So that as many people as possible may have a chance to share, please limit your sharing to a maximum of two minutes or less. The timer will remind you when you have reached two minutes. Please speak into the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. And the meeting is now open for sharing. Hi, I'm Josh. I'm a recovering sex addict. Hey, Josh. Uh, grateful to be here. I um, appreciated the illustration with um, the spinning plates and um, the idea that... Um, there's something wrong with me, and I cannot do anything about it to change that. And that really speaks to me because um, I tried behavioral modification to get rid of my disease. Um, I tried all sorts of filters, um, accountability softwares. Uh, just, I, I tried changing my environment outside and, and still that didn't keep me sober, uh, because there was something inside of me that was driving me to, to make these choices and that was, uh, shame. And, and, and when, when it was shared earlier that there is something wrong with me, that is, uh, shame, uh, speaking. Um, so for me to, uh, 
for me to seek recovery, I have to understand that shame is, is my true disease and that addiction is a symptom of my disease, which is shame. Um, for me, uh, powerless, powerlessness uh, is that I have, I'm driven by this core belief about myself that I'm not worthy of being known. And, and when that core belief pops in my mind that I'm not worthy of being known, um, it can translate to, well, your sponsor doesn't want to talk to you or your recovery friends, they don't want to pick up the phone, you're a burden or, you know, you, you don't deserve to share in a meeting. You don't deserve to be in this chair because you, you're not worth knowing. Um, so that was the shame that drove me into acting out. Um, so thank you for letting me share. Thanks. I'm John. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, um, thanks for all y'all's shares. Um, I really appreciate, Jim, what you said about lust no longer leads my life and makes my decisions. Because um, I really relate to that. Um, I mean, it's. I was just thinking about like how much l- lust led my life um i mean whether it was pretty much any opportunity that i was alone even if i wasn't even thinking about it beforehand but as soon as i was alone boom lust was saying oh you gotta do this and this and this um or any time that you know friends say, oh like let's go to a bar and i say yeah like let's do that and then as soon as i'm there well Oh, you should, you should have another drink, you know, relax a little bit. Like lust will come in and, cause you gotta relax a little bit, to, you know, cause that girl's really cute and you're gonna be able to talk with her unless you relax a little bit. And I mean, just so many of my decisions being all about lust telling me what to do. Um, and, and I mean, the fear that still, I mean, is in my life. And a lot of times I check in with my sponsor and he says, you know, why are you doubting your recovery? Stop doubting your recovery. Um, and for me, that comes down to fear of like, oh, well, what if I'm not doing this right? Or what if I'm not doing that right? Or what if, blah, blah, blah. Or what if this happens? Or, and the reality, I really like that sentence of like, lust doesn't lead my life. I mean, the, the compulsion that was just so present in my life for so many years, um, like it, it's not there anymore. Um, and that, gives me so much hope, especially knowing how just it was literally there every single day. Um, and I know the reality is that if I, you know, it's not because I'm doing anything special. It's because of my higher power. So thanks for letting me share. Thank you. Uh, hey, I'm Keenan. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, um, something uh, you were saying, Tracy. Uh, Tracy, right? Yeah. Something you were saying um, about kind of when you try to gain control um, of your addiction, um, it gains control of you. Um, and it really reminded me um, of a Bible verse uh, about how it says that um, you know when you try to hang on to your life or you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life uh, for my sake, you'll gain it. Um, or you'll save it. So um, it, it really made me think about that, that when we try to do it ourselves or we try to take control of it ourselves, um, we'll completely lose our lives. Um, but when we surrender and we give up and we admit powerlessness, um, that's when we'll save our lives. So thank you for letting me share. Thank you. I'm Ben. I'm a sex addict. Okay. Um, I appreciate this panel and this this whole marathon. Um, something that really struck me during this thing is the, well, at least for me, how my black and white thinking really likes to confuse these issues. Uh, I appreciate somebody saying, um, well, I've got the, I finally stopped trying to stop, which just creates a whirlwind of crap in my head because that phrase almost to a T was part of my biggest relapse where I said, you know what? This is just who I am. I'm going to stop trying to stop. I'm just going to act out. Um, so I really struggle with that. Um, and my addict, my black and white, my compartmentalization, all those, all those wonderful, uh, cognitive defects. They want to say, well, they, they hear this and they hear, 
Well, if you're not going to try to stop, then when you when you see that that lust object, you see that woman. Well, don't don't try to stop. Just just say something. But if I do, it's like I struggle with the difference between stopping trying to stop and doing the next right thing. Um, you know, I do think I have to take initiative, but sometimes the initiative is to admit that I want to do something that's going to take me down a road that in my heart of hearts I don't want to go down. Uh, in the moment, it, it's a really pretty road. Um, but later, you know, later when I'm standing in a doorway feeling very shameful going, I'm so sorry, um, it doesn't work. You know, I, I also really appreciate the the comment about first step meetings and if you if you if they always occur in some separate room like oh welcome your crap might be way worse than my crap let's go down the hall um in, in my experience getting in rooms where where i can you know you know just admit my stuff in front of another group of addicts and go this is who i am this is what i did and I'm, you know, it sucks, but I'm okay with who I am, and I don't have to be that person anymore. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. I'm Joe. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Joe. I do appreciate this uh, panel and all the participants here today. Yeah, for me, this is one of my uh, step one was uh, and has been a stumbling block for me because I could very readily admit I was powerless, but. Uh, I wasn't sure I was, life was unmanageable. I thought I could still manage it. Sometimes I still do think that today. Uh, and I, and I struggle with that because I find myself comparing myself to other people in the program whose lives are worse than mine. You know, I hear about people that have been arrested or they've lost their families or whatever, and that hasn't happened to me. So I didn't hit a real, uh, devastating bottom. Uh, but, you know, uh, the fact is, um, I'm here and, uh, I'm here because I'm powerless. If I was not, if I could control this disease, I wouldn't be here. And because I'm powerless, my life is unmanageable. Um, I can, um, I can see, uh, uh, how, uh, how it's gotten worse. Uh, somebody said that, uh, that, uh, when I'm trying to control things, uh, it's, it's just going to get worse and it has. So, um, so I've had to, uh, I really come to grips with this, but uh, the fact is, uh, powerlessness and and unmanageability for me are are two sides of the same coin, and they're not really separate and distinct problems. It's all one problem. And the problem is me. So thanks for letting me share. Thank, Thank you. you. I'll share. Another share. <laughs> I'm Tracy, and I'm a sexaholic. Uh, this morning, coming up here, I've I've, I've got a new truck. Um, my my other truck got totaled a few weeks ago, but no one got hurt. But anyway, I have this new truck, and uh, it's got lane assist on it. And um, I I consider myself a, a pretty doggone good driver. I'm 58 years old. I've never been in a serious automobile accident. I'm very grateful for that, and I consider myself a very careful driver. But now that I have that lane assist and it and driving up here in Atlanta, even when you get close to the lines, it beeps. It makes this beeping noise, and I'm just shocked by how often I weave close to the lines, even though I consider myself a very good driver. And um, I got to thinking about that on the way up here this morning as I was coming up Peachtree Industrial, and I, it was beeping every so often. And I thought, you know, that recovery can be like that. If we just had something in our minds that would beep when we got close to the line, <laughs> you know, we would probably be surprised at how frequently we got close to the line. Um, and I call that, uh, during my recovery, I, I call keeping the radar, um, you know, the little radar antennas do like this, but my radar antenna is outside my peripheral going around me. I used to be the radar antenna, but now I'm the center and the radar is keeping its eyes on me. And so I, and that means not just what I'm doing outwardly, but what I'm doing inwardly. 
and uh, but maybe somehow someday we can come up with a, a lane assist for sex addicts. Thanks. <laughs> Can't sit here any longer. I'm old. I've been a sex addict a long time. I'm a, I got shoes older than some of you. But I'm gonna tell you one thing. It's going to just knock your socks off. Who are you? Uh, I wonder sometimes. <laughs> Wayne. Sorry. Um, this is so deep. I don't know where to start. But let me start with this. I am not perfect. I know because my wife told me what. How much more need? How much more do you need to hear? Oh, I'm, I've been down the trails that you've been through. Um, I'm from Dalton. Um, we got a group there. Um, and we all struggle with sobriety. But what I want to tell you today is I don't care how tough the road gets. you got to get tougher. And once I made the commitment to stop what I was doing, got a sponsor, found that higher power, and my wife stayed. You hear me? You hear me? Don't know why she stayed. Grace. But once I made that decision and got straight and told her everything and found the help, went to the VA. They laughed in my face. You're a what? You got a what? We don't have nothing like that. The VA, hell, I, uh, heck, I thought they knew everything. <laughs> well, the guy says, I can't help you, but I've got a little old phone number that somebody can help you. Turns out it's the SA group in Chattanooga. Get on the phone, talks, you know, tells me where it's at. I walk in, sorry. But anyway, I thought I was smarter than them. I just went because my wife wanted me to go. But in five minutes, I knew I was in the right place. And I ain't quit going since. But sobriety is the greatest thing you'll ever find. Don't care how hard you have to work at it to get it. But you find it, you don't want to let it go. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. I'm Tracy, and I'm a sexaholic. And um, you know, it's it's crazy the the little things how important the little things are. Um, just like I just now said my name, and y'all said, "Hey, Tracy." And you know, they do that in AA meetings, and to my knowledge, they do that in all A meetings. And you know why they do that? Because we need affirmation. It's not just a cute little thing to do, but we need an affirmation. And then when you get through talking, they say, "Thank you, Tracy." And we need that affirmation that we can only get in these meetings. And that's why it's so important. And the the book, um, in this chapter about getting it started in recovery, and um, is it starts, it says to set up for the meetings, it says getting involved in the mechanics of the meetings, help set up, clean up, maintain the literature, being there for newcomers. That's so important. It's important to get out of yourself. If you do not feel like going to a meeting, you need to go. I need to go because there were people there the day I showed up. And some of them may not have wanted to be at the meeting. So if your meeting attendance is just about your sobriety and your meeting attendance is just about your recovery, it's not going to work. It doesn't work when it's just about you. I lived my entire life all about me. I had I had to change. I had to put myself in other people's shoes. I had to be there for other people and get out of my head for other people. And 
I find that to be so true when it comes to meeting attendance, especially after you've got a few years of sobriety and you start thinking, well, I go to three meetings a week now. I probably could just get by with two or, or maybe I could just get by with one. I can't. I was a very, very good sexaholic. I was a very active sexaholic. In order to be recovered and stay recovered, I have got to be 1% better recovery person than I was a sexaholic. If I'm at the same level, the sex addiction will come back in. I have no doubt about that. I have no doubt about that. Um, I do not trust myself. I don't know that I will ever trust myself. That's why phone calls are so important. You hear about people talk about the 10-pound the phone or the 100-pound phone. There again, you're only thinking about yourself. Your problem is not making phone calls. Your problem is selfishness. You are concerned about what effect your phone call is going to have on the other person. And you say, I don't want to bother somebody else. That sounds selfless, but listen to the sentence. I don't want to bother somebody else. You're only thinking about the way it'll make you feel to make that phone call. You are not thinking about the benefit. So it's not about the phone and it's not, it's about you still thinking you're powerful or me still thinking I'm powerful and it's about self-centeredness. If you won't make phone calls, you are so self-centered. Work on that and then you'll start making the phone calls. It has nothing to do with the phone. Thanks. I'm Jerry, a grateful recovering sexaholic. Hey, Jerry. You know, I think about all the time, we always talk about, you know, we have to remember that we're always a sex, you know, sexaholic. But I think, and I'm speaking for my reference, I have to always know that I'm powerless. I really do. I, I was looking over, um, a social media and someone from 20 years was still trying to get me to accept the invitation with social media last night. And I was like, interesting. And I'm going to the marathon tomorrow. <laughs> but I thought about it, and my control said, well, should I block him? Should I not? I'm just going, God said, just just stay put. Just leave it alone. But I have to always know that I am powerless. Um, I, I'll i even go on to make another reference. I was, I worked on the uh, marathon um, program. I was not actually supposed to be in this um, in this um, panel, but um, I just don't ex- you know accept things you know as as life on, on life terms. But I was thinking about it, and Tracy spoke first. My good friend Jimmy, he spoke. I literally just a smidge froze during the time he was getting ready to speak. But that that's that's still that's still all of that control and. And unmanageability, and I'm not embarrassed, to, not embarrassed to say that. But it, this, this has been a very fulfilling panel. But again, I have to remember, I have no power. I have no power, but I have a lot of power in God and my higher power. Um, I can get a lot done, but um, I have to get out of the way. But again, this this program is is my life, and I would have never dreamed. How all this would come together because I wanted to control the outcomes with me coming in here. I knew my uh, affliction, as I call it, and now I have more um, solid male um, um, brothers uh, than I've ever had in my life out of SA. I was willing to give up. This was the last, last option, basically, that I had. And it has been the best. It's just like I just walked through a door, just like willingness. The key turned. And as a result, uh, I have a very f- fulfilling life. And sex is optional. I'm not embarrassed. I'm, I embrace celibacy. Um, that's my amends to God until he, de- until he decides something else. But um, I am very um, content as a result of surrender, absolute surrendering of my past. Um, and I have, like I said, I have a brand new life and a new pair of glasses because I'm able to see. I was so dark and and uh, I just couldn't see anything because I was so caught up in uh, acting out and traveling all over the world to um, to 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 meet another person on the internet. So I'm just glad to be here. Glad that I have to remember that I'm unmanageable and that uh, my life is, is still out of control. Like it talks about in the White Book, it talks about. 
the program does not tell us how to uh, it does not tell us how to stop it keeps us from starting again again it keeps us from starting again if we work this program just like it talks about uh, the temptations and everything um, we have to work the temptation the lust things as it happens and God is able to give the grace to continue on so thank you for letting me share thank you very I'm Jim. I'm a sex addict still. Um, I really like what uh, Tracy shared earlier about the uh, energy that uh, he, he brings to the program. I was a very active sex addict, acting out, um, put a lot of energy into that. And uh, I really feel like if I put half of the energy into recovery that I put into acting out, I would be a lot better than I am. Um, but I have to surrender that, too, because that's a, a kind of a control thing. I really don't think that any of us got here casually. Um, I definitely would not be here if I didn't have to be here. I really feel like I got here because I tried to control every bit and manage every bit of my life as a sex addict, and I found out I couldn't do it, so here I am. And remembering that on a daily basis is hard after you get some time in the program because I still manage everything. You know, when I got up, I decided how to get here, and I decided, you know, which panels I was going to attend. And, you know, I still have to put one foot in front of the other. It's just, do I rely solely on Jim? And, you know, or do I ask for help from a higher power? And unaided, I will be back out there. There's no doubt about that. I've proven that over and over and over again. I, it's not, it's not a, a question of, of whether I will. It's a question of when I will. And I've picked up so many silver chips in this program that, you know, I've had to turn them back in. I felt so guilty. You know, it's just by the handful. And, you know, by the grace of God, I haven't thought about that in a while. You know, I haven't thought about how many silver chips I've picked up. But I could pick one up again. It could happen again. I'm not, I'm not any more invincible than anybody else. So thanks for being here. Thanks for letting me share.